0: All right, it's me, Russell Brand. Look, on Under Skin from Luminary. It's a big and exciting episode with Edward Snowden. He's a renowned whistleblower and former computer intelligence consultant who worked for the CIA and the NSA. He copied and leaked highly classified information from the NSA in 2013 when he was a CIA employee. His disclosures revealed numerous global surveillance programs, many run by the NSA, and the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance. Which I think is a sort of like they're trying to have fun. <laughs> hey, we're the firefighters put a bop 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 uh, with the cooperation of telecommunication companies and European governments. Edward no longer lives in the US since his passport was revoked and it became clear they planned to murder him. <laughs> He's still waiting to see if he'll be allowed to return. He's written a book about his life called Permanent Record. Nice. Which is available now. And I hope you've had a look at some of the clips on YouTube of us talking to him and me analysing retrospectively this conversation because I didn't want to interrupt him at the time. Although mates of mine have said it is a good discourse. Although I've not had a single compliment from my producer and co-worker and colleague (laughs) Jengo. compliment
1: about what? (laughs) The style of the chat. Yeah, but you've got your new styles in the last year. What
0: new styles?
1: Um, Attentive listening. I don't know (laughs) what they call it. It's pretty good, isn't Isn't it? The old new style. But why is there two different forms of listening? Isn't just one hearing. What do you mean? You've obviously been thinking about this You're on your own on one of your long
0: car journeys or your interminable stretches of solitude in your grim little dwelling by the sea. I almost sent
1: you sea. a picture of my run. You went at what? I almost sent you
0: a picture of my run. I went on the first run, the first run for a year yesterday.
1: Yeah, I went and, well, I ran at home from my MOT, but it was along the beach.
0: Why are we being done for fraud? You ran <laughs> home from MOT your MOT. Why did you sprint away from your MOT? I
1: had no way of getting home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what were you wearing i don't mean that in a perfect way is <laughs> no. were you wearing appropriate yeah, attire showed... for Actually, running i
1: ran and then i ran back to quick fit in my running gear obviously
0: you've been sprinting back and forth from quick fit eh yeah. what did they make of you at quick fit
1: i don't know weird probably
0: i would have thought so jen because
1: <laughs> i have a big red face we <laughs> were <you> at lowest soft
0: <laughs> quick fit is that where you were
1: Yes, I may or may not live on myself. <laughs> in any event, you're at stuff <laughs> Quick Fit. They're where I nice. imagine
0: the Quick Fit Fitters thought you was a right little freak. Why? Whereas I was at a Quick Fit recently, and I couldn't have formed a more easy bond with the guys working there.
1: Why? Because you, you tried really hard. No, Jim, because <laughs> I have a natural
0: rapport with, <laughs> with the Quick Fitters. Hi, guys, it's me, old Russ. I <laughs> asked
1: for his name and everything because he was so nice. Not in a weird way. Go
0: on, then, I'll be him all right, what's, uh, okay, what we need to do? I was
1: like, what's wrong? It failed. <laughs> My emoji. It's you a... failed it? Yeah, it's okay now.
0: But well, now that car 10 minutes.
1: It's old. It's 16 years old. Is it? Yeah. But they kept calling me your BMW. Yeah. So they remembered me.
0: What they call... do, they have... do they have like sort of slight low stuff accents and that? Like that?
1: No, not really.
0: How would they talk? Normal?
1: Because they're on the border of Suffolk and Norfolk. Mm. So maybe it's a less Norfolk.
0: Did you manage to embarrass yourself down there quickly? Well, yeah,
1: because I showed up with a big red face after my run. That's (laughs) the last
0: thing they need down quickly at Revolting. Yeah. Well, hold on, that was some banter. I hope you played (laughs) the banter decanter jingle.
1: Okay, I'll play it now. Banter
0: Banter. decanter. Decanter. What if there's no more banter?
1: (laughs) It's punctuating the end.
0: Well, it's a sort of, it's a coda. Because there's
1: never a, a moment where I can just play it. very shocking just to suddenly play the jingle. Well, you that's such a point
0: with jingle. Shock people, shock them. Shock them good. Listen, they're about to listen to Edward Snowden r- reveal the amount of surveillance... Is at play the amount of power governments in cooperation or collaboration with conspiracy even with tech companies have and you want you worry about shocking them with a jingle jam?
1: because yeah. <sighs> you might be saying something and then suddenly we're in banter again. Banter,
0: decanter, <laughs> decanter, canter, canter. Put it on. Banter, decanter. Canter, canter, canter. And what about the new one I'd say, the Django goodbye. jingle? No,
1: oh, we have to do that this week. Do
0: do it, because that was a good one.
1: Oh, hmm, a jingle jingle. He does the same thing at me, the no. Oh, no, the jingle jingle. <laughs> like that? Oh well, that's better than last week's. What was it? You were a bit hip-hop-y, or staccato-y last week.
0: Well, anyway, the go with the best jingles. one. Let the, for me, the quality of the jingle is everything, you know? So we're, uh, okay, let's have a look now. At uh, comments. Now time for comments. <laughs> comments, comments, comments. Jen, this is Bridget. I'm going to assume <laughs> no, you're you pl- blowing. You what are you doing <laughs> now? What's wrong with you this week? <laughs>
1: Nothing. Where have you been? I've been home. Why do you always doing? think I've been from different places? Have you been
0: playing with that dog? It's not even no, your dog.
1: No, I haven't seen the dog.
0: Who have you spent time with? Who have you talked to? No one. Well, that's <laughs> good for them. <laughs>
1: Just a, no, there's no point in saying these words. No, tell me, what was it? Did you there's go back ex, on a? Did you go Norwich Trot? No, there's some good donuts on the seaside.
0: <laughs> you had some good donuts on the seaside, and that's what you're calling a life,
1: Jen? Yeah.
0: And you had the gall to criticise yeah. Jordan Peterson for saying that. I didn't, you,
1: did I? Well, you and we said I wasn't another grown colleague.
0: Or purposeless, I think, was the implication.
1: Yeah, but a child's not purpose. It's just, oh no, they're going to die. <laughs> Don't let them die. Well, thank you for applying for the job <laughs> here at the orphanage.
0: <laughs> I'm afraid you're not exactly what we're looking for, but we'll keep your. Some people are useless TV when on they have kids still.
1: Mm? Some people are still useless when their parents. Are you trying to get at me? <laughs> no, I'm not. It's like at an you an attack? No. That ch- that's Where's, sure? Look, we're
0: in the comments area. <laughs> banter's over.
1: Okay.
0: Where's Steph Hoy? Uh,
1: oh, I keep forgetting. About have Steph you driven Hoy. her away? <laughs> no, it was you.
0: Steph I appreciate you I love you I ain't mad at you come back to us (laughs) (laughs) let's have a look at some of these other comments about the Jordan Peterson episode great episode very emotional did it do well on YouTube
1: yes it's at half a million that's good that's
0: just a couple of days ago you know
1: yeah it's good Jen I know I posted it <laughs> look at the big shot
0: look at the big shot posting a video driving a BMW sprinting back from quick fit you already do making
1: a jingle you be aye,
0: look at me Jenny look at me go
1: child free child free no
0: purpose yeah Jordan Peterson episode comments start now Mike Cummings these conversations between Russell and Jordan one of many things that remind me of my own personal desire to be the most attentive and supportive dad I can be. It reminds me too that Jenny Mae Finn can never be trusted. I use the word neri to mean never. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. And it was a good chat between Dr. Peterson and me, wasn't it? Yeah, I
1: liked Didn't it. Didn't you <laughs> eat cream egg during it? <laughs> no, that was, um, I was doing another one.
0: You're always trying to wolf down a little treat, isn't you? Yeah. What about in the summers I look up in the meditation ones above the noise? Our great new meditation (laughs) podcast. Guided meditations every week. Try them out. Let me know what you feel. You can let me know at hello at com if you want. Or you can let me know at, I don't know how else you can let me know. Is there a way?
1: They can tweet you.
0: You could tweet me if you wanted. We'll find out. Anyway, it's good. And I see you. Sorry, Jim. I see you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on my phone. No one texts me.
0: I don't blame them, Jen. It's what...
1: Demire to text me sometimes to have some advice or something, so I'll reply. What
0: about the Norwich Trot? What's happening to it's that? It's gone. There's no Norwich No more trot. Norwich Trotting? Trip-trapping <laughs> no. about in your big boots?
1: There's no point. Why? Because I don't... I don't... No. Jen, they, you've they got are... to find love. <laughs>
0: You've got to find it, Jen.
1: No, <laughs> yeah, but apparently you're not supposed to try to find it.
0: Yeah, you've got to be at ease with who you are. That's right, actually, Jen. You're right. I was wrong. That doesn't happen very often. But the fact is that you've come in here, smothered in perfumes.
1: One perfume.
0: Sm- smothered in. It's not
1: in... as good as the other one, is it?
0: It's quite nice, but I prefer the other one. That other one that's sort of, what is sort of you've got some sort of gender neutral. What yeah, is it it's called? Halveddy. Gender neutral funk.
1: Carfetti by Penn Halligand.
0: Uh, Calfetti by (laughs) Penalagan Sounds like an Harry Potter spell Calfetti Cairo's
1: great for men If you want one that's for a man
0: I don't wear perfumes
1: I know, it's just your conditioner (laughs) I know, it's just your conditioner (laughs) When people smell you I know, it's
0: just your conditioner (laughs) Or when people smell me Because I smell Because it
1: shows you've just put your Moroccan oil in and Don't it smells really f- nice. And I, I have it too. I have the same conditioner. Is that what
0: conditioner you use?
1: Yeah. Different shampoo now though.
0: <laughs> I thought you used something called Reek. <laughs> 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 By Stenchums, Only from Tomy.
1: <laughs> no. Everyone says you smell nice. Mm.
0: Should we go do some touring when it's allowed?
1: Do you need me there? Yeah. Uh
0: yeah. uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be there, Jen.
1: You've got such a large and enthusiastic team now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they are enthusiastic, aren't they? Would we, we? It's about time we started starting some communities, isn't it?
1: Mm.
0: Don't think so. What they do you might mean? fall apart. Huh?
1: They might fall apart. <sighs>
0: Well, everything's gonna fall apart jen you just said as so much about children andrew t <laughs> jordan Peterson has touched many lives his studies and values will live on for many lifetimes thank you both for your hard work and dedication to truth and a meaningful life i'll tell you what it's worked really well i think because loads of people are going you can't get Lumina in this country you can't get luminary in that country what do you mean 28 quid so people are really like uh trying trying and i wouldn't be surprised if we got a whole new set of subscribers and we might be able to rely on more than steph hoy for our comments section do you think Professor Noel Fitzpatrick's listening right now?
1: I hope so.
0: Super vet, how we love you. Do you like to think of him making an incision in a Doberman's gut no. while listening to your voice? Perhaps allowing the blade to linger too long by a Doberman's gallbladder, thinking, oh, why don't she shut up?
1: But I thought he liked it.
0: He does like it. Okay. But he's not necessarily going to like you, Jen. Oh,
1: but he was nice to me.
0: Was he? Didn't he put Aggressively you in
1: nice. Yeah, it was aggressive. Nice
0: lovely sort of a cuddle of the irish yeah <laughs> uh we love you Noel fitzpatrick if you are listening we hope you are so uh thanks jordan peterson for your hard work and dedication to a truth and a meaningful life that's what we're looking for we need freedom and a meaningful life and by jove we're going to create it jody ewing's nice name i woke up today after a day that brought, up, brought me great emotional pain Wow. Thankfully, two of my favourite mentors popped up on my feed. The depth of the pain they experienced brought such light to man's basic nature and needs. The podcast came to me in the most perfect moment. I'm so grateful. Thank you very much, Jodie Ewings. Yep. She's like to belong. I think we've got enough people to start a cult. Do yeah, you? but
1: why, you don't know what they're like when they get annoyed.
0: Yeah, the thing is as well, I'm a very private fellow. Yeah,
1: why oh, do yeah, you want to commune when you don't to? You, wanna... You're a
0: private fellow too, are <coughs> you?
1: Yeah, I don't, I'm, it's a relief when people leave.
0: I'm never more happy than when they're finally gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Jen, what we could have a commune where you do have your own private hut, like I think the Ewoks had. <laughs> and a central hall, I think that's where they kept Han Solo. And there where we have lunch, you know, lunch? pop in there for lunch. I don't know. <clears> then we'd, like, people go and do psychedelic shamanic trips and we've got electricity. What about the
1: plumbing we're... and the We could have bins, pies. Huh? And the bins.
0: We've got to be we've got to be carbon neutral. We've got to be ecologically mindful. It's gotta be an ecologically mindful cult that's like run using you no. Know, but wind what about and people who have
1: like issues and then they leave messy stuff and then and then they cry because they left the mess because of their trauma. Well <laughs> we will have
0: people on site to help with trauma.
1: <laughs> the whole time.
0: We've gotta be. We'll have to help do But with they might get trauma. annoyed
1: like stop using your trauma as an excuse for not doing the dishes. Jen, can you try (laughs) and look
0: at the bright side of the cult? (laughs) That should be a new jingle. Try and look
1: at the bright side of the cult. Don't you worry about
0: it, though. This is planning. See, you are into it. I knew it. Now, of course, there's Traitor's Cove. (laughs) That sounds nice. (laughs) You'll be spending a lot of your time here, Jen. I fancy. No, obviously, it would be democratic. Look, there's no problems now.
1: It's just the two of us, and there are sometimes problems.
0: <laughs> but I mean, even in every area of your life. Look, well, all I'm talking about, you're in a oh, cult anyway. No. You're just in a big cult <laughs> called Western Capitalism, man. It's a big... Don't roll your eyes, Jimmy. <laughs> <general. laughs> a... In a new cult, you'd be taken straight to Traitor's Cove for that. Um, okay, let's do a little... Uh, anyway, um, remember that cult jingle? That could be another one. We're okay. keeping Justin Hawkins. We're going to have to start paying him for this stuff.
1: All right. No. Know? <laughs> 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 now, hold on, right.
0: Listen to shout outs. Do we have a t-single for that? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Listener <to> shout outs. <laughs> Troy says, Hi, Russell and Luminary family. I've really enjoyed the time I've listened. I'm heartened by the idea of constructing an alternate elite, and your guests and perspective explore the fabrication of it from many directions thank you for this and I wish you momentum in continuing to help and gather up the energy for a cha 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 chain reaction also I love the banter between you and Jen I fall in love every time I hear her beautiful laugh <laughs> Jen i feel a bit sick
1: I didn't choose it
0: and the amusement of oh Jen I'm feeling bile rising
1: because I f- it's uh, I'm feeling love. bile, <laughs> <Love> bile. bile. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's love bile Jen. people feel nauseous when they're in love right
0: They don't feel bile, though, do they, Jen? (laughs) A burning bile. (laughs) A burning bile rising up inside them. Do they, Jen? It sounds like a song. A burning bile rising (laughs) up inside. Anyway, this person loves you clearly, poor Troy. So, Troy, I'm assuming you're writing this from inside some kind of institution for the mentally insane. And I wish you luck, Troy, on your journey to recovery. And are we all not just a little mad?
1: Poor
0: Troy. I love you, Troy. I'm only mucking about mate. Just trying to have a bit of a laugh trying a bit of laugh what you think the cult's going to be joyless
1: maybe no okay we've got
0: enough joyless cults that's what civilization already is all right now remember Above the Noise is coming out new meditation podcast huh? it's out
1: mm-hmm.
0: we have done a couple of episodes um, some of the meditations are tippity top, tippity meditations so join them new guided meditation every Wednesday go and check out one now let me know what you think of it also Revelation my audible originals out bloody good stories Good tool to guide you to enlightenment, and hopefully me one of these days. And make sure you remember the mailing list so that you can get live. I do live Zoom calls; they're all very good. Jen, I never see you on there. I'd like to what see. Why
1: would i
0: be on there? I oh, know. Pop on.
1: Oh. Why? What would I do? Just sit and be listen. Be teased to I think. Quite. Oh, cruelly. like on it, on it.
0: Come on, come on. The next one.
1: Oh, we were thinking that when you do a live show, Justin could be in the corner doing the jingles.
0: God, that'd be nice, wouldn't
1: it? But I'd have to be under the skin live show.
0: We can do under-the-skin live shows. We're going to do some live shows the latter half of this year, so please look out for details of that. First, I'll have to write a nice show, but then I'm sort of thinking I want it to be more congregational. Like, I go back every week, I do a service. What do you think, Jen?
1: Yeah.
0: Mm, I heard that doubt. I heard (laughs) the doubt. You did
1: it in LA. Yeah, I did, didn't
0: I? It wanderlust. Okay, check out my YouTube channel for all the spiritual videos. YouTube channel... No, main YouTube channel, channel... for Edward Snowden and all this analysis the thing about football all that stuff it's bloody good and then go on the side channel for Awakening with Russell Twitter Instagram TikTok LinkedIn I mean all those tins now should we finally go to Mm -hmm. Edward Snowden should we finally get some truth about how this world's run shall we Jen can you handle the truth
1: yeah Hmm.
0: yeah I can it's not that hard alright here he is Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a successful that, route. Yes, that's,
2: that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era
0: where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told. And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Edward, thank you so much for joining us on Under the Skin. I'm honoured to have you here
2: it's a pleasure to be with you thank you for having me on the show
0: are you all right with the fatherhood etc <laughs> yeah you know it's
2: been uh it's been a significant change to my lifestyle um but it's so rewarding like you know the, the difficulties are non-stop i don't sleep anymore uh whereas before it was me who slept with a baby slept with a baby slept like a baby Um, And it's funny because it makes you realize things like, you know, that our colloquialisms like sleeping like a baby are completely inept because babies wake up like every couple hours screaming. But of all the things that, you know, I've done, and I've got a few things in my life I feel like I I can be fairly proud of, um, raising a child is something that you never really question. Uh, When you just look at them, you see their excitement, their enthusiasm, even when they're pre-verbal. That's what drives us forward. That's where we came from. That's where we're going. It's our desire to understand, to interact, to share, uh, to be accepted. Despite all the difficulties, despite all the badness in the world, uh, that is one true pure thing that I think you see in infants.
0: How has it impacted and renewed the sense you must surely have of, of, sort of persecution and occasional dread now that you have these, this, this renewed investment? I know like for myself, you know, in a, a far less dramatic situation, just the, the ordinary condition of being a father, suddenly I feel tethered to reality in a different way and, and it, I recognized my own vulnerability. How does, that, how does that affect you in your unique situation?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely gave more thought to, you know, what happens if I get hit by a bus pushed off a building tomorrow. Um, But you make preparations uh, as best you can, but you can't be controlled by fear. I, I didn't come forward to be safe. I did it because it had to be done. It wasn't really a choice as much as it was an obligation. What that means is for the rest of my life, um, the difficulties that I face, I do the best I can to mitigate them, um, but I'm not going to be controlled by them. I'm going to raise my family uh, the best I can for as long as I can.
0: Does it, like When you talk about fear, which is obviously something that we all deal with, and, and when you talk about consequences of your actions, that's, again, that's something that we all deal with. but. There is something obviously very particular that that you, that you, that you you're, when you're dealing with morality, you're dealing with it somewhat from a geopolitical perspective. That not many individuals, like you know, probably on a practical level, and also certainly on a symbi- symbolic level, you're dealing with that like, your personal mor- your your morality is tethered to. Con- temporary issues in a way that I can't I mean what Greta Thunberg uh, you know Nelson Mandela 10 years ago it's difficult to think of people whose personal moral choices and ethical choices are so sort of contemporaneous and tied to the zeitgeist and the way we understand our times what have you done to deal with your own ethics and morality you know I watched Citizen 4 I know Glenn Greenwald a little I hope to get to know him better Um, and I I, you know what, what struck me when I watched that film when it came out was like, oh, my God, this like you look like a person who is in a state of revelation. like you're going, this could be recording. Yeah, this phone, this balls probably watching us now. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Like you're like, it's like someone that had been awakened to a deeper reality. How do you that? What is your practice for continuing to hold those truths? And is there a spiritual dimension to it? Do you meditate and and unpack for us a little how you deal with fear and ethics in your unique position?
2: You know, I, I, I think I'm a little bit unusual and that, um, I have a pretty flattened emotional affect. Uh, you know, I I chuckle at things, I get sad at things, you know, I get fearful, I get angry. Um, but I, I normally don't get, uh, wildly gleeful or, you know, um, intensely angry or, you know, paralyzed by fear. Um... I, I I think this is common amongst uh, a lot of technical people, actually. You spend enough time um, looking at a computer screen, <laughs> you know, when that becomes uh, one of your primary interactions in life. Everything else feels a little less real. Um, so if you, you know, ask about the the spiritual dimensions of life for somebody whose primary interaction is with the, the technology that, that surrounds us. Um, it really comes down to, I think, recognizing the line between what the internet is and what it provides. Uh, the connectedness, this fabric of community that we're trying to create from it, particularly now and during the, the context of COVID. Uh, all of the rest of that has been taken away from us. Um, but at the same time, understanding uh, that it isn't entirely real. Right. We used to say, uh, in real life, to mean everything that didn't happen on the Internet. And, you know, online, uh, as our other life, the things that weren't real. But the world has changed so much in the last decades that what happens on the Internet is very much real. It determines whether you get a job. It determines whether you get canceled. It determines uh, whether you get a loan. It determines uh, who pays attention to you, how much and why. The internet is where all of the individuals in society are set in competition against each other from morning till night, right? Um, Not really the powerful so much, but the powerless among us uh, are all out there posturing, uh, trying to to win the contest for the day on Instagram. Uh, But it's a game we can't really win. The most you'll ever get out of it is, you know, (laughs) likes, you know, people poking that little heart button on a screen somewhere, uh, acknowledging you. Whereas Sabrosa, the things that the internet is really enabling, uh, it's harder to see is that it's redistributing the power of all those people, all those communities, all those populations all around the world through their attention to the people who control and own those platforms, right? Um, And I, I think when you look at spiritual awakening from the side of someone technical, Uh, Like that, it's thinking all these systems that we've been building and the way they're being exploited today, does our work continue as it's being used today and operationalized today to be good? Is it worthwhile or does it have to change? And if it is uh, something that requires change, what is our responsibility for for changing it? And then, you know, at the end of the day, stepping away from that screen and remembering the things that that truly do last, right? When the power cuts, uh, when the dams stop spinning, um, when the motors all click off, uh, what remains? And those are the connections that, that can't be taken away are those few that remain around us, which are not intermediated by glass. And if you find yourself, you know, listening to this and looking at the comments and there's somebody there who's probably posting like a crying emoji and going, you know, all of my relationships are mediated by glass. Uh, because that's true of so many people today. They don't have to be. But it does take time. It, it takes effort. Uh, but if we want life to change or we want the world to change, we have to be the ones to make it change. It's not going to be given to us. Unfortunately, the people who are in control of the system today uh, are not feeling especially charitable.
0: You made a choice in your life that you know the sort of the which as yet remains the defining choice of your life to uh, reveal the extent to which Americans and other uh, national security agencies were spying on their citizens without permission, uh, knowing to a degree, due to the nature of that information, the likely consequences, although I'm sure there must be elements and subtle realities as with any death or change that are sort of surprising and astonishing. Had you ever done anything before as a child as a, uh, or as a younger man? that you uh, would indicate that, y- that you had a pathology or even tendency to make choices of that nature, by which I mean self-sacrificing ethical choices?
2: Um. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I uh, wrote an entire uh, autobiography, permanent record um, and it's easy, particularly when you're, you know, putting the chronology together, you're looking through all the anecdotes, to look for that sort of novelistic arc that says, um, these things were fated, right? Like it was prophesied by, by your own history. But in my case, I think in many cases, it's not true. And I, I worry about that kind of, um, instinct that we all have. like We want to see that. Um, we want to believe like there are heroes. We want to believe there were the great men of history or whatever. Um, but the reality is I'm extremely ordinary. Um, you know, I, I didn't graduate high school. Uh, but I spent enough time on computers uh, that when I went to community college uh, hmm. And I got some, you know, training on the side. I picked up some certifications. Uh, I was able to talk my way into the door at a bunch of different com- uh, companies. And when I got the chance, uh, they saw I could actually do the things that I said. And I, I started climbing. I just got my foot in the door. Um, and then, even though I, you know, signed up uh, for the U.S. military, uh, in. 2003. I entered basic training in 2004. uh, When everybody else was protesting the Iraq War, I was signing up for it because I believed what the government was saying. Uh, You know, I was sort of the the -the dyed-in-the-wool, Kool-Aid drinking uh, person who believed that patriotism was listening to the government. Um, But patriotism is doing the right thing despite what the government says. And it took me a very long time um, to realize that. So, you know, as I'm Uh, signing up for the military and then I'm uh, finding my way to working for the NSA for the CIA Uh, I'm going into deeper and deeper levels of indoctrination, uh, deeper and deeper levels of being propagandized by the workforce of being institutionalized. Um, And I am very much a true believer Uh, but like I said about um, you know babies, children, uh, before I think it is human to search for the truth. Um, And when we see indications that we're being lied to, it creates a form of cognitive dissonance. Um, I think just by paying attention to those um, contradictions uh, and then following them, starting research, you know, pulling this document, what does that mean, going to the other one, piecing things out into the big picture, um, is what allowed me to actually do something very different from what the child that I was uh, probably would have been expected to have done. Uh, So, yeah, I I would say there wasn't actually um, a childhood anecdote that, like, uh, again, prophesied this. And I don't think that, like, for a lot of people, that's, like, kind of a letdown. Um, but this is an argument that I've had with Daniel Ellsberg, a uh, friendly argument, because I, I love Daniel Ellsberg, we're, we're very dear friends, uh, who uh, is the source of the Pentagon Papers disclosure in the 1970s for those who are not Americans or who are younger, um, which was uh, top secret documents uh, revealing that the United States government had lied its way into the war in Vietnam and then lied its way into extending the war in Vietnam um, and you know, um, many, many lives. Could have been saved as a result had this been public uh, earlier. Uh, anyway, he is called a, a hero by everyone because he has done an incredibly heroic thing. Um, I admire him more than uh, hardly anyone else alive today. Um, and he's called me a hero. He's uh, all the major whistleblowers that have come forward uh, in the decades since him. He has lauded and he's encouraged people to use this kind of language because Uh, there there are a lot of reasons but basically it creates a sense of support and it encourages others to follow this example of heroism right Uh, and that's socially beneficial in a lot of ways but I look at it from a different way psychologically Um, I'm not a hero and I say there are no heroes and the reason for this is when you call someone a hero when you say they do extraordinary things, when you like try to look into their biography and find you know, the alignment of the stars that said, ah, this person was meant to do this, you're distancing yourself from them in the same position. You're going, the reason they could do this was because of X or Y or Z. When I think it's more empowering to recognize that you could have done the same thing, And you can today, right? If there are no heroes, there are still heroic decisions. And you're never more than one day away from making one, right? It's about recognizing history doesn't care who you are. It cares what you do.
0: Yes. Now, where I disagree with that, Edward is that is almost from a is a, from a, a, a literal na- narrative perspective in terms of storytelling that in if you're telling a story the hero makes a decision that determines the direction of the story if the hero says I'm not going to do that it sounds like a dangerous idea then you don't have a story the hero has to at some point usually after reluctance and resistance go i am going to do it it's the right thing to do now if the hero for me a sort of a sublime heroic choice is to prioritize an invisible set of principles over material consequence and i don't think that saying that what you did is heroic is any way sort of alienizes alienating nor distancing and, and, and it's not that I'm wanting to further sort of uh, elevate or deify you, more to kind of somehow track like because I might never be in a position where I'm confronted with oh my god, I know this mad crazy thing that's going to alter the course of history what am I going to do? I might never be in that position M- most people won't be other people besides you have been Most of those people have made a different decision. Presumably most other uh, Prism or Five Eyes or whatever employees went, oh, okay, I get it. I better keep my mouth shut about this stuff. It seems like it could be somewhat incendiary if it were to get into the wrong hands. You didn't. You felt a kind of a calling, and I'm and presumably because it's obviously it's you and it's your life. But my but my sense is 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 not to further go. Oh, look at him. He was like uh, the techno cyber neo Jesus of our time. It's um it's um, more like like oh I wonder if you know if I could see it in a sort of simple quotidian parable sense like well like i.e. like I've done things before when I've not known people were watching that have been righteous and in fact my whole moral identity is founded upon as a person that's been kind of selfish in the past that's been a drug addict that's been absorbed in celebrity and fame has been the kind of wrangling my own identity and soul sense of self away from what's best for me what's best for me you know in in both conscious and unconscious ways to what is best more broadly and that for me has involved a kind of a sort of a very rather quite regimented and disciplined pursuit of ideals and I guess what I'm trying to see is how that could take place in uh, like your extraordinary circumstances And but I recognise that you're doing a continuing to do great work in refusing to sort of, you know, paint a, a binary halo above yourself through, you know, through the choices you've made. And I respect well, that.
2: Well, if I can respond to what you were saying, it was uh, particularly applying someone as the, the label of hero. Right. Because particularly when we look through history, there are people who have done heroic things who were terrible human beings. Right. Um, People are complex and when we sort of categorize someone as a hero uh, we sort of decline to uh, sort of delve too deep lest what we find detract from the thing that we want to recognize them for. Uh, What you said about me um, previously and when you were going through sort of the literary analysis of it was you said this was heroic. And I actually think that that's more fair for people to say, because again it's about the decisions, not the individual, and recognizing that heroic decisions aren't things that necessarily have to change the world. Um, people throw themselves into volcanoes every day for far lower stakes. Um, and that in aggregate is actually much more impactful. That's basically every mother mm. uh, in the world, you know who's operating on low sleep and you know, particularly ones. Working two jobs uh, they're by themselves um and it is self-sacrificing right and it is invisible and there's not a lot of laudation there's not a lot of audience recognition um but that's what i'm i'm trying to say like what the world needs more is everyday heroism than grand acts Because the grand acts from my perspective are uh, moves of desperation, right? Uh, It's the last resort. When I'm at the NSA and I discover basically that the governments of the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada uh, have created a secret spy alliance called the Five Eyes and built a machine of mass surveillance that spans the entire globe uh, that does not care. Uh, Whether you're a criminal or a terrorist, it ingests your communications all the same and stores them for increasingly uh, greater lengths of time. And I started talking to my coworkers about it, like, did you realize this is what we were doing? And because of the need to know principle, nobody was really supposed to see how this worked at scale. I just happened to be sitting in the chair where uh, by virtue of my assignment, I was in the office of information sharing at the time, uh, so I could see basically everything. Uh, they did not realize how good I would be at sharing information when they put me in that job. Um, then I could show others the map uh, and they got cold feet. You know, they said, "You know what happens to people who speak up? Um, and w- what do you do? Who do you go to, right? When it, it, it's not Becky that's stealing office supplies, uh it's not John who's like you know sexually harassing the intern Uh, it's the president it's the congress it's the heads of agencies in more than one country uh, that are conspiring without the public's knowledge uh, without in many cases the congress's consent um to violate not just the law but our rights on a truly global scale So when I have full knowledge of this, it takes me forever to actually come forward, not just because of the consequences, um, but because I don't want to be the one sitting on the X uh, the day after because, uh, again, we know what happens to guys who rock the boat. Um, So I'm I'm looking for someone else to do this, right? Uh, And that's when it's gone too far. Think about the 10,000 Different steps uh, where these kind of programs could have been prevented. If somebody just in the meeting, you know, ten years back, had been like, you know, why don't we, why don't we raise a trial balloon in the newspaper? You know, see how people are going to react to this. Why don't we uh, do a series of congressional debates on this? Um, because these programs, in the end, you know, they're completely marketed as like saving lives against terrorism. Uh, But after the fact, we found out these programs were never effective in stopping terrorist attacks. Uh, They're about power, not public safety. Anyway,
0: I got off track there. No, no, it was good. It was a good track. And what does it tell you about the prevailing mentality that at no point those concerns were raised? Does that not suggest that it's because there is a prevailing agenda to create the power that is suggested by the fact that it got, you know, those 10,000 steps were taken? uninterrupted and what does it suggest about the intended destination these steps are not inadvertent they're not random or arbitrary there is a purposeful journey towards domination where are we on that journey now what can does it tell us about the? (laughs) (laughs) just add a few levels to this question and we still haven't resolved Becky in (laughs) in the office supplies is still hanging and that pervert John needs to be dealt with um but like all all all, all that abiding what does it tell us us about the prevailing mentality of the inst- the powerful institutions that were sort of operating in the cases that you revealed, and what can we assume about the evolution of those ideas and that power base, particularly under the peculiar predicament we find ourselves in now with the global pandemic and the n- renewed imperative for us to yield power and authority? <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a <laughs> hell of a question, Russell. Um... Yeah, that's like 12
0: questions. I know I do that Uh, a lot, but you take your time, Edward, and remember you've got that key to raise now. How's your your wife? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: So, look, um, first we have to understand the nature of government, and that's a six-hour conversation, but but the short of it is um, government and the act of governing, uh, just the word itself, uh, implies... Controlling, right? Uh, In in a simpler time, when we're talking about a hamlet, about a village, um, government can be fairly simple, uh, and government can be uh, fairly uncontroversial, right? Uh, It's about roads. It's about um, irrigation. It's about making sure you know that drunk uh, isn't peeking in through people's windows or breaking in uh, through their windows. But as society becomes more complex, as government expands, government takes on more and more roles, government tries to control and regulate more and more things. The people who comprise government, um, there are so many of them that responsibility becomes diluted uh, any kind of policy or power until the point where eventually government stops really thinking and government begins acting through its own inertia. right? Um, and if the goal of government is to control society, they, they might say more politely, uh, to order society, then that begins to happen uh, sort of reflexively without thinking. As technology advances, as the capabilities which are theoretically available to government expand, Uh, Government will move like a wave, like water, to occupy the full space available to us, right? That that water is going to go to the edges of that glass. Um, So what happens is we do things that we can rather than things that necessarily we should. And there are so many people involved in that act of government. And there is a vacuum of the kind of everyday heroism uh, that I was talking about because they think it's not their job. They think that's for the president, they think that's for the judge, they think that's for the Congress. They don't realize uh, government is comprised by the individual at scale. Uh, And when the individual subordinates their own judgment uh, to merely this ideal of the goodness of the system, right, Uh, in whatever country uh, people are justifying their involvement in the machinery of government by believing in sort of their national myths there, um, that you get these policies uh, as a result, and so you get you know 30 people in meeting, uh, and probably 25 of them have the same thought, but none of them voice it uh, because it's not good for their career, right? And it's not really their job anyway. And they've got another meeting, you know, in an hour, uh, and somebody will get it, or the lawyers will get it, or whatever. Um, when we scale the capability of human institutions. But we fail to um, expand their capacity for judgment, uh, for self-reflection, for oversight. Uh, At the same scale, you know, disaster is invited. And that's really what happened. Um, We need to have safeguards to prevent things from getting sort of too far off track there. And speaking of too far off track. Uh, how about uh, that twelve step question you have what's next? where do you want to take us?
0: well, see what you've suggested there is that there's a degree of inertia and that inertia carries us over the ten thousand steps to the point where you end up in the sort of the bewilderment of the decision you had to make when you found yourself in that in the in in the chair. I like what you just said, then, mate, about it, everyone subordinates their own will and judgment to the ideals of the state and the kind of zealotry that that implies, and the sort of the sort of hopelessness of the um, uh, objective of secularism to sort of prevent a kind of uh, idolatry and religious type zeal and the kind of unthinking biases that that engenders from entering entering governance. Of course there could be a six hour conversation on the nature of government but there's also a a sort of a shorthand that could be deployed and 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 Foucault has sort of handled much of this stuff he's pre-chewed this so we like baby birds can... uh, Sit and sup. And and I would say that, you know, it begins as, you know, we offer you protection, you give us taxes, and pretty soon it becomes like what you you described, a degree of control that becomes sort of insurmountable and and undesirable. Now, the next steps on that sort of uh, question uh, marathon that I um, flung your way were about, like, if... uh, The fact is, one of the things that's most concerning about sort of uh, the epic drama that you... um, brought about that that your insight and incident uh, exposed was that uh, there was a kind of intransigence and unwillingness to concede that it, that there was a problem and the sort of focus of course and, and notoriously fell on you and your moral actions and, and an attempt to sort of portray you as a a traitor rather than a just actor in a very a complex situation what can we assume from that intransigence and from the mentality that led to the point that, that you found yourself making that decision, what can we assume about the kind of ideas that underwrite current thinking towards, i.e., Covid passports, the demand for further police powers that, that are occurring globally, but in particular in the United States and in, in my country, United Kingdom, the increasing prohibition around protest and the further demands for surveillance cap- capability. Not to mention, sorry, I can't stop talking. Uh, what's going? I know we've only got an hour. Uh, uh, not to mention the um, the plain sight conspiracies that are taking place in Davos, where tech companies are asking for the rights to sort of take on more and more government control and then i'm going to ask you a big question about centralization once you've whisked through that soup of language i tipped in your lap
2: yeah breezy <laughs> um yeah let, let's take a conspiracy and, and sort of davis next um but for now um there's that question about, you know, COVID passports, really it invites what's happened in the wake of 2013, right? So now we have a world uh, where the day before, uh, a few people knew um, what was going on. They knew mass surveillance was real. Uh, And and you in the comments, you're you're more than welcome to say, you know, I knew it all along. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the thing is none of those people could prove it, right? And that's actually the holdings of the US federal courts because people like the American Civil Liberties Union were challenging these programs, which we had reason to believe did exist as unlawful, as unconstitutional in the United States. And they would get all the way to the highest court and the highest court would go, well, the government's alleging it's a state secret. And if you can't prove that it's happening without you know, access to the government's discovery or whatever, um, the court has, uh, you have no standing to have the court hear this case, even though the court agrees uh, that the allegations here could have constitutional implications. So then the day after, um, suddenly now we all know, uh, now we can all prove it uh, because the government brought charges against me for releasing uh, to journalists. I never published any of these documents on my own, no Journalists did. They charge me with serious crimes. They, they can't say these documents aren't real. At the same time, they go, you know, this guy needs to go to jail for the rest of his life, and then some, uh, for revealing them. So the government has acknowledged the truth of its own wrongdoing, uh, as alleged, in a certain way. The government would try to sort of uh, dance around that and try to have it both ways, but the courts disagreed. So. Uh, All these civil society organizations in different countries around the world uh, began bringing lawsuits against their government, and we all know the court systems work very, very slowly. Uh, And in September of last year, you know, seven years on, uh, they found that uh, the government's actions uh, under the programs that were being revealed in 2013. Uh, were in fact unlawful and they held that they were likely unconstitutional and the government in the United States has been uh, Abandoning some of these programs. They've been changing the law to make these uh, programs no longer possible Does that mean sunshine and roses? Does that mean, you know rainbows and unicorns? Um, unfortunately not because of uh, again the way that government pursues capabilities well What happens is uh, When the judges say what the government is doing is against the law, the government brings in the lawyers and they go, well, how can we do the same thing under different legal interpretations? Or in response to a scandal, this is how it happened in many countries, uh, the UK being a great example here, Germany as well. When the intelligence services are caught in a scandal where they're just dead to rights, shown to be breaking the law um, and the Investigatory Powers Tribunal in the UK did find uh, that the UK GCHQ, that's the British NSA, uh, had been violating uh, the law for seven years uh, in one of their reviews. Um, You can either reform the activities of the intelligence services to comport with the law, or you can reform the law to comport with the intelligence services. And the UK and Germany and France and a lot of other countries, unfortunately, uh, they went with option B and they went all of the terrible scandalous things that you caught us doing. We're just going to make those legal now. Um, And uh, in the United States as well, that's happened under, you know, it's been uh, much more careful because the scandal burned hotter here. Um, They uh, use different authorities. They abandon this authority. You know, they go to different things, but it's all very uh procedural right Uh, this is what we can think of as legalism Uh, the evaluation of right and wrong moral and immoral uh, is replaced by the evaluation of legal or illegal Mm -hmm. if it's legal it's good it should be pursued if it's illegal it's wrong it should be abandoned but that's it if we look throughout history there are you know thousands of times throughout history um where uh what was legal was obviously immoral, right? Uh, and what was illegal was, in some, time, in some cases, the only right thing that a person could do. Uh, sometimes the only moral choice is to break the law because the law is wrong. And we're in a time today with all of our sophistication, with all of our elegance, uh, that the law begins and ends every conversation, unfortunately, uh, in government. And we don't look much deeper than that. So. When we have this proceduralistic thinking, uh, they say government is the teacher of you know uh, all the world. Our good friends, those corporations that are people, they learned uh, from this big scandal because of course they were neck deep in it because where was the government getting all of this information from? Sure, the government was spying unilaterally uh, through its own programs in some ways, uh, but through other methods, the PRISM program being one primary example, the government was helping itself basically to all of the data that these companies were holding on us. Now, Google knew everything about you. Facebook knew everything about you. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Yahoo, you know, these guys. Um, If they've got these massive, complex, rich dossiers of all of your personal private activities, Uh, And governments can just knock on the door and slide a stamped piece of paper across a desk and get all of that, everything that you've ever typed into that Google search box, everything you've ever watched on YouTube, right? Um, What you've typed into the search engine, and then they're like, ooh, backspace, 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 backspace. Well, they got that. And they also captured the backspaces, right? Um, And they hand all of that over. Companies realize, well, we're doing it for government, you know, uh, they want us to do it. They encourage us to continue doing it. They didn't get in trouble for doing it. Uh, This has become the business model of the Internet, right? Surveillance capitalism as it's it's described today. Um, And now, only now, uh, are we starting to get the pushback, right? The pendulum has gone all the way to the direction of mass surveillance. Uh, we're hoping that it's reached its apex, but, you know, there's a whole lot of people continuing to push to try to get it further and further out. Um, we're seeing things like uh, Apple in their iOS operating system and Apple itself. Uh, allows much more surveillance and tracking than they should, but they are making it ex- life extremely difficult or Facebook by limiting the kinds of tracking that you can do on iOS. Uh, Google, who's one of the worst actors in the entire space, um, is making you know security and privacy features better in their next mobile phone version. Um, but at the same time, uh, Google's operating system doesn't uh, allow an internet permission slider where you just say, this app is a calculator. It should never connect to the internet. Uh, And that obviously should be an option that we have, but Google doesn't permit that because Google wants your phone to constantly, all the apps on it, to constantly be able to reach out to the internet, to send data back to someone, anyone, maybe it's Google, maybe it's Facebook. As long as the data is out there, Google knows eventually it will filter back to their hands. Um, And that gives them more influence, that gives them more power, that centers the operations of the world more around a graph with Google at the center because they see themselves as an information business. Uh, And so this is what I'm saying. We've gone to this global maximum, as it were, of governmental and corporate power. As I said, while all of these guys are aligned on the same side, what benefits government also benefits corporations and vice versa, because that's the way our system today is designed. They uh, (laughs) work quite tireless, I would say, tirelessly to set all of us, uh, the non-institution, the public writ large, uh, individual and collective against each other in meaningless and endless competitions, right? On TV, on the broadsheets. If you look at UK newspapers, you know, you see the way they cover issues. Um, It's red team, blue team uh, about any issue. They realized over the last decades Uh, that they can create connection and communities between people. Uh, And we love that. And the things that we love, we will come back to again and again. Um, But the things that we love become familiar. Uh, We appreciate them. We will always uh, embrace them. But it's not like we hop out of bed in the morning and are like, oh, I love this, I love this, I love this. The only thing uh, that humans, unfortunately, seem to be motivated more by love is what we hate. And they have become very, very good at identifying what we hate. And they're constantly working to introduce us to the things that we hate. And this is the global explanation for Twitter and Facebook and such as they exist today. Um, We're either doom scrolling or we're zombie locked on something like TikTok or uh, Instagram. Which is uh, really, you know, the padded comfort room <laughs> uh, that they put us in until we self soothe uh, after being in, in the, uh, you know, the hallways of hate. <laughs>
0: thank you there's some lovely imaginative language there it's very difficult to envisage you as some sort of pie-eyed adolescent skipping off gleefully to enlist in the (laughs) Iraq war and then due to the sort of the epiphanies or rather revelations given it was sort of tangible information transforming into a person whose discourse includes the sort of not only oh I'm a techie and I understand how this stuff works but the clear sort of moral analysis of the um the the, the constant oppositionism meaningless tribalism uh, endless uh, like I, I spoke to Vandana Shiva uh, like last week and she said like the you know colonialism in its previous nationalistic format of you know centuries ago um, required div- Divide and conquer as one of its dominant motifs. This idea continues now as uh, seeds and new nations and consciousness itself, through the the, the process you've just described, are colonised. The divide and conquer mentality is ongoing through the, the you know through the tribalism, identity politics, and uh, various sort of conflicts that have arisen from that in a sort of a comparable in a comparable manner. Now, you've sort of described at length the kind of clandestine operations that you, of course, revealed and how they continue to evolve. You suggested that we might be at some point of apex, although, you know, who's going to bet on that? And, 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 uh, <laughs> uh, but, but I wonder what you think, and, you know, and again, given our sort of our brief conversation prior to us recording, uh, I wonder what you think about the plain sight conspiring that takes place at Davos that in- seems to include centralised governmental authorities and big tech companies entering into further collusion, whether that is around, you know, forms of ID cards, allowing tech tech. Institutions to do what would have formerly been regarded as uh, the province of government when it comes to, you know, um, pandemic l- legislation and regulation and just more broadly handing authority and power over to these, you know, like if you read much David Foster Wallace, you know, when he sort of talks about like how nations will likely be called things like Apple and Google, although he wouldn't have used those examples because they <laughs> terrifyingly didn't exist at the time that he was writing. Um, but like, you know, that, the, that these things are sort of, You know, taking place. What do you think about uh, the world of conspiracy, the the sort of more extreme occultist end? I can sort of guess, I kind of what you would think about that (laughs) kind of stuff. But 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 conspiracy in terms of what's happening plainly when powerful people are meeting up at colourful, well, seemingly well-intentioned summits to discuss how you know we will own nothing and be happy, etc.
2: This is, this is another one of those very short, brief, easy-to-answer questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you go deep here. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about the nature of conspiracies such as it exists today, right? it's important to differentiate it from the conspiracy theory. Um, the greatest conspiracies are open and notorious. Uh, they're, they're not theories, but practices, practices expressed through law and policy uh, and systems of government, uh, technology, finance, right? Um, and as you say, counterintuitively, the uh, conspirators more often than not, they announce their intentions um, to the world uh, or, or some version of those intentions, uh, at least in public And with at least a modicum of of like fanfare and pride, we're we're doing a great thing, you know. We're revising the world, our foundation, our initiative, Um, and these conspiracies uh, of power are they're reported all over the place. They're in our newspapers. They're bannered on the covers of magazines. Um, We get updates on the their their progress, uh, you know bulletin on the bottom of Chirons on on feeds, right? With, with so much regularity that we become inured to it. Uh, it becomes the background noise of, of the day. It becomes uh, like, I don't know, seeing the, the price of soybeans. Uh, and this leaves us sort of unable to relate the banality of the methods of their conspiracy to the rapacity of their ambitions, right? (laughs) Uh, They say, you know, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Uh, And that's staggering at the time, but 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when you own nothing and are unhappy, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um... We're gonna wonder, you know, how, how, how did we get here? Uh, but when you just scope out and look at the, the concept of these everyday conspiracies, the large impactful conspiracies, you know, the, the party in power wants to redraw district voting lines. The prime interest rate has changed. You know, a, a new free service has been created to host our personal files. Uh, these conspiracies order and disorder our lives and yet they can't compete for attention uh, with Twitter and Facebook uh, you know that the, the postings that are effectively graffiti about Satanist rings operating out of pizza parlors right uh, and this is this is our problem when we talk about conspiracies the, the truest conspiracies meet with the least Opposition, Uh, or to to put it um, in a different way, uh, conspiracy practices, the proven conspiracy, the true conspiracy, such as gerrymandering or the debt industry or mass surveillance, are almost always usurped by conspiracy theories, false or imagined. Um, Now, we need to be careful because some things that are termed as conspiracy theories are, in fact, true mass surveillance, famously for the longest time, was referred to as a conspiracy theory. Um, You know, conspiracy theories, like we see them as these, uh, you know, they're frequently false and often malevolent uh, sort of tales that we come up with. Uh, that in aggregate can and do erode civic confidence and the possible existence or verification uh, of anything certain. Um, But there is space for both. Conspiracy theory can be seen as a kind of parody. Conspiracy theory can be seen as a kind of gaming out where the public's vulnerabilities are, uh, a reflection of our fears. Um, but in my life, right, I've had this unusual experience with both the theory and the practice of conspiracy. When I was working for the NSA, right, I was involved in this system. Uh, it was intended to access and track the communications of every man, woman, and child on Earth to the maximum extent possible. And for that to happen in secret, right? Is there anything more grand and conspiratorial, uh, sort of, in our uh, in our imaginations? Um, but it was true. It was real. It actually happened. The governments avowed it. It's continuing today. It's become, you know, a business model at this point. Um, And it took me a really long time to extricate myself from that. And the funny thing is because of the manner in which I extricated myself from that, I became the subject of conspiracy theories. There are, you know, uh, like image meme macros out there, uh, of three random nerdy teens. One of them is labeled with my name. One of them is labeled with like Mark Zuckerberg and they're like, we're cousins and he's not actually Mark Zuckerberg, I'm not Edward Snowden, like we're actually the Greenbergs or something like that. Uh, People say, I'm a Russian agent. People say, I'm a Chinese agent, right? There are conspiracies all the way down. And it's not really until you've been subject to conspiracy like that, that you can really, conspiracy theory, that you can see uh, how crazy, uh, crazy it gets, you know? And I do ask myself, what drives this? Where, where does this urge come from? You know, <laughs> is the existence of global mass surveillance not enough? The does there have to be another level to it, right? Do we need 5G towers causing COVID? Uh, you know, like, is it really the lizard people that, that, that designed the 5G? That, you know, what, it's, what drives that? And it it, it took years, I think, for me to become a little bit more comfortable or at least to develop a personal realization um, that I was missing the point. Often we talk about conspiracy theories in order to avoid talking about proven conspiracies, uh, which are often too daunting, too threatening, and really too total. They make us feel disempowered. They make us feel like there's nothing that we can do. The uncomfortable truth there is that many prefer an easy lie to the hard truth, right? Um, Because if we believe that, uh, for example, um, the banking industry is uh, going to war on savers, just sacrificing anybody who saved any money, in order to avoid the debt collapse of all the governments that have over borrowed and all the companies that have over and basically indentured the current growing generation, the youngest of the audience today uh, that's watching this. Those people are intentionally, knowingly, willfully being screwed um, because of all of the political cowardice and poor decisions that said we don't want to face any hardship today so we're gonna put that on the shoulders tomorrow. When you look at something of that scale and go, well, how do we unwind this? How do we, re, uh, how, how do we back out of decades of bad decision making? Take for example, something like the uh, war on terror in the United States, which is the greatest mistake of my generation, right? We're still in Afghanistan. Uh, famously you know Biden said in 2012 uh, that we'll be out of uh, Afghanistan by 2014 well now it's 2021 and he's saying we need more time you know we need to think this through Uh, when you live in that kind of world the idea that you know uh, The bad guys are at a pizza parlor. You can kick in the door and flush them out, right? You just need to burn down that tower that's at the end of your block and everything will be better. Um, That's a world that's more attractive because you have identifiable figures who are responsible for uh, your plight. And you have the ability to uh, sort of push them out of the way and correct things. If only you guys would come together. But the funny thing is, if we do come together, we can unwind all of these plights we face, even the uh, extraordinary ones, but it takes focus and sustained attention on problems that are intentionally made abstract and boring (laughs) by those people that are holding conferences at Davos, right? Uh, It is exciting and visceral uh, to think about satanic rituals. Um, Nobody gets hot thinking about the interest rate.
0: No, no. No, we don't do it. And I can see the appeal. I can see the sort of. It would be better if it if lizards were involved. I'd prefer it almost. But I can see that what we're dealing with is something that, on a personal level, requires. I think something that you have well not alluded to, stated like the kind of ordinary um, heroism that be. Being a parent demands that behaving morally and ethically in your own life demands could be extended, extrapolated into a kind of a collaborative effort. It's curious that now that the technology exists for a a a global movement to oppose the kind of established and centralised powers that that we've been discussing, we are more immersed than ever, to use your phrase, in like you know doom scrolling and zombie hypnosis or whatever you said, and like pointless division and pointless oppositionism it seems um, almost moot to ask but like a uh do you, when um, the, the election cycle churns out a, uh, a, a a new patriarch as yet no matriarch, do you feel that it's uh largely irrelevant? Um, not least perhaps because of your personal position. I know that I've heard people talk about the intricacies of pardons. You know, when you've not been charged of anything, but like, it mm-hmm. seems to me that like a public statement. Um, of uh, goodwill from a person in significant fat power would be meaningful what do you uh, what do you infer from the consistent stance from various administrations towards your position um, what does that what is implied by that about sort of democracy in america particularly
2: uh, well when we talk about whether it's america or where it's anywhere else when we have a uh, country that is um, really sort of ordered by class interests, uh, as it is in the United States, as it is in the UK, as it is in many others, Um, more so than than the public interest. uh, Broadly, there's a lot of engineering of the election process uh, where these interests will, before the public ever gets a chance to vote, uh, narrow the field uh, such that the final voting choice ends up being, you know, uh, two different flavors of the same Pinkerton. Right? Um, we're voting for cops. It's it's just a different flavor. Uh, when we look at uh, sort of the relationship between uh, the successive U.S. administrations and myself personally. Uh, It's really not anything unusual or relative to myself as it is to whistleblowers as a class, right? Those who reveal government wrongdoing. Uh, Going all the way back to Ellsberg, he was charged with the same uh, crimes that I'm charged with, you know, 40 years later. When we talk about Chelsea Manning, when we talk about Thomas Drake, when we talk about Reality Winner, when we talk about Daniel Hale, these are all prominent American whistleblowers Uh, just since 2000. Who have faced precisely the same charges, uh, and none of them have been pardoned. Uh, Chelsea Manning uh, received a commutation of her sentence uh, under Obama, uh, as a way to save face um, in uh, the wake of this gigantic mass surveillance scandal. Ago, you know, I'm not completely opposed to whistleblowers, uh, because Chelsea Manning was uh, very much a prisoner of conscience, and they were afraid. I, I think with good reason. Uh, if they kept her in these conditions that she would kill herself and this would really uh, draw more attention to the plight of whistleblowers in the United States Um, I am very glad that she's out today and they've moved beyond this now they're no longer targeting the whistleblowers right the sources behind journalism that makes them uncomfortable now they're moving Uh, to the publishers of it, figures like Julian Assange, who is not a whistleblower in the classic sense, right? He didn't work for these agencies. He didn't sign a secrecy agreement. Uh, All he did was receive information, true information, by the way, by the government's own um, uh, allegations. And now he's being charged with uh, related crimes under the Espionage Act, which has never happened in the United States uh, in this case. If you charge Julian Assange, um, with publishing true information uh, about government crimes, you're opening the door to do the same thing to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and every other newspaper.
0: Right. Potentially big tech organizations. We've hit 60 minutes. Do you mind if I run through a few complex sure. diatribes? Um, <laughs> this one, listen a little more um, personal. How is it to uh, be married and to live this extraordinary life? What is it? I mean, it's a question I'm asking you, obviously, and imagining that you answer on behalf of your wife. How does your wife feel and what has it done to you in your relationship to have to go through this? That's one question.
2: I think, uh, (laughs) you know, I I get a lot of personal questions uh, and I get that there's a lot of interest. As a privacy advocate, I always resist these because I think there should be a a, a private space, a space for the family, space for the home uh, that's not on the Internet. Even though it's a legitimate question, I get it, and it's in there. What I'll say is, um, together, my wife and I have lived through an extraordinarily difficult situation. She was my girlfriend um, when I came forward, not my wife. We were living together in... uh, Hawaii, and it was the closest place to paradise I've ever been. Uh, very comfortable making an extraordinary amount of money for, for very little work. Um, and I left that, and I left her uh, to do something that I believed in. And I couldn't tell her about it, because if I did, the FBI would have charged her with a crime. She would have been accessory to all of my, you know, many felonies as the government imagines them. And yet, despite that, she believed in me, and she came back to be with me, and we married. Uh, I was probably the worst boyfriend in the history of my country, Um, and I will never be able to repay her for the faith that she's shown in me, and I will always love her for it.
0: Thank you. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, What kind of technical measures for self-protection do you have to undertake is even now this conversation do you have to do stuff that's pretty heavy in order to keep yourself somewhat safe
2: i mean there's there's a sliding spectrum um i'm a lot lazier now uh than i was closer to 2013 um because even the government i'm sure there's a guy at the nsa right now making a note of you know my connection details to you which route it went over the internet you know they go, uh, where do we think he likely lives now, and how does he travel, what does he do, and who's he talk to, and oh, he's got a connection to Russell Brand now, you know, put Russell Brand on the list. Oh, shit, Russell Brand's already on the list. Move him higher, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, it depends on the context, right? Um, when we talk in the practice of information security, we talk about threat modeling. Um, what are you trying to prevent? What is the cost of compromise? Uh, What will they discover? Uh, And how much will that impact you? Uh, Before I had full shields up, you know, I had to do everything possible um, because there were literally members of the US intelligence community fantasizing anonymously to newspapers about how they were going to kill me and they were going to, you know, poison me on the street and then I was going to collapse in the shower. And it was, I mean, this was lurid, very, very vivid storytelling uh, on the record. Um, And, uh, you know, former CIA directors saying I should be hung by the neck until dead and just wonderful stuff. Um, But as the years have gone by, uh, I I think history has acquitted me um, of uh, sort of the worst of the allegations. All the stuff that the U.S. intelligence community said would come to pass— Uh, did not come to pass. The oceans didn't boil off, the atmosphere didn't ignite. Uh, We're still here, uh, and the public is better for having known uh, the truth of the government's uh, crimes in 2013, as they continue today. Uh, And that makes me more comfortable. Now, if you're asking me, you know, do I use an iPhone, do I use an Android phone, do I, you know, post on Facebook, do I have all Google's crap everywhere? Uh, The answer, of course, is no. Um, I try to limit the reach these systems have in my life uh, to the maximum extent that's possible. But I also recognize that, that for something there are no alternatives. Um, what you have to do is create the minimum possible surface area. From a technical sense we could go very deep here, but the foremost problem I think with uh, basically tracking people today on via mobile devices and things like that is All of the network communications that those devices are making, that your device is making right now as you look at it, uh, are invisible to you. You think you're watching, you know, a YouTube video or listening to a podcast or or whatever. Um, But then you finish uh, and you put the phone down. The screen is off. It's just sitting on the charger or whatever. It's still communicating. It's communicating uh, with an enormous frequency. A lot of apps are connected in the background. They're reporting not just a single person. Uh, When you're watching YouTube, it's not just going to uh, Google. It's not just going to YouTube. It's not just going to Facebook. It's going to all of these different uh, companies that have embedded tracking code in all of the dumbest apps on your phone uh, from big to small. You know, Instagram, obviously, is a tracking nightmare, but so is your weather app so is your calculator, so is any kind of little shim they can get into your device. They're using to track you. And here's the beautiful part of all of that. Let's say you install every app from your phone. You just open up that uh, sort of app drawer and There's nothing in it. It's a beautiful, clean background image. So long as that phone is on, even if you turn off location services, even if you turn off GPS, um, It is still tracking your location uh, every minute of the day that you have it with you. By virtue of the way the cell phone network works, you're connected to the nearest cell phone tower, right? That tower registers the location of your phone's handset, your phone's SIM card, which holds your phone number. Your phone number is, of course, related to your billing information, even if you've got no other information on your phone. Now that telecommunications company has that, They store those records in perpetuity, basically. AT&T in the United States, one of our largest telecommunications providers, saves your calling records, right? Uh, Going back to 1987, you might go, oh, well, it's my calling records, whatever, but that's more than most people's lifetimes that are watching something like this. Um, And then your movements, uh, the sort of tower locations that you were connected to, AT&T holds that going back to 2008. So they got what, 12, 13 years of your movements, right? In perfect precision. What are the other phone companies doing? And, you know, you look in the UK, for example, they've got the Snoopers Charter, uh, which is one of the most extreme surveillance bills, the most extreme surveillance bill in the history of Western democracy. Uh, it's passed to, uh, you know, unfortunately, very little opposition. Um, And just in the last months, the home office has been exposed as uh, collecting everybody secretly, everybody's out there at these uh, internet service providers. uh, Their internet connection records, right? Uh, Well, that's effectively your browsing history. Even if they don't see the sub uh, page that you're looking at, say you go to a newspaper site, they don't necessarily see which article you downloaded if it was encrypted, Uh, they see where you read your news. They see which parties' uh, websites you're connected to. They they see your partisan slants. They see where you shop. They see your literary interests. They see your search activities, uh, based on which links you've clicked out of through those search results. If they can't see the search results directly, which in the case of internet connection records they often can't, and for them that's like oh business as usual this is the way it's going to be we're we're testing it out just to make sure it's, it's safe for everybody they call this bulk collection and they say that's not the same as mass surveillance um, but i think we know better
0: it's like in order to have any kind of privacy or freedom you ha- would have to elect to live like a gangster you'd have to say i'm gonna get someone else to buy me a phone they'll be registered on that phone i'll take that phone i'll be there'll never be a- traceable connection between me and this device i'll never turn on these apps i'll never put on these so they like you have to become it's created a system that you'd have to become criminal or criminalized in order to live with what would have be once been regarded as a sort of an inherent right to privacy and freedom it's a, a kind of a degree of um power that in a sense makes a i suppose why perhaps why this has been such a An extraordinary story for our time is because comprised in it uh, is so much revelation. This is what power is. This is how uh, how power behaves. This is what's required in order to confront it. This is what happens when you confront it. In a sense... Uh, Like, this is why I I respect your modesty around, um, you know, the heroism and the, the kind of restrictiveness of that label and how it might disempower ordinary people to take the kind of actions that will be required if ever these systems were going to be confronted, if ever there was going to be meaningful change, if ever these great behemoths were ever going to be challenged, it would require all of us, individually and collectively, to find in ourselves the ability to no longer be prisoners of comfort and convenience and to find deep resources and say, yes, okay, right, let's do it, let's create a different future. I recognise why you do that, but the but the fact is is that your actions and your subsequent response to that for me bears out what like um you know I heard Glenn Greenwald say I think on Joe Rogan that you're the most extraordinary person that he's ever met, and I think that um, in spite of your modesty, uh, I've th- think you're a truly remarkable human being, and I'm very very grateful to you for the sacrifices you've made personally. Uh, I'm, I'm fathomable to anybody looking in from the outside. And I, I thank you for your example.
2: I have to say thank you very much. Those are some very kind words. Um, one, one thing that I'll uh, leave people with, um, this is just for fun. Uh, but you, you mentioned, you know, if ever we were to resist all of these things. Um, I think people are resisting in their own small ways. Uh, and the first step to any resistance is to care. And I think this whole big unfair system, uh, and I think people recognize that the system as it exists is fundamentally unfair when you look at things like the uh, location of economy and political power, right? You have more and more wealth concentrating in fewer and fewer hands. Uh, you have greater and greater levels of political authority invested in unaccountable and opaque hands. Uh, that we cannot influence in a meaningful way um, and often their decisions you know where they're, they're not even visible to us and as we said before uh, all of us are out there being set against each other right uh, I don't think it's a coincidence This is this is sort of my conspiracy theory here right um, and it is just a theory uh, because it's very much untrue. It's, it's uh more coincidence than anything else. But the world has been given the tools of mass organization. All of us in every country around the world, right? Um, you can find those of like mind. Uh, you can read and publish and speak broadly. That's what we're doing here, right? Like I'm literally wanted by the United States, they would bury me under Guantanamo if they could. Um, And yet I'm having this conversation here with you. And isn't it interesting that just at the same moment in history, uh, when we finally reach uh, the tools of mass organization, we are afflicted with uh, the means of mass distraction. And the reality is resistance starts when enough people become uncomfortable. And the thing that's holding this whole big machine together today is the fact that for all of the problems, for all of the injustice, for all of the uh, inequality that exists in society today, um, for a great deal of people, uh, their lives are still pretty comfortable. When we see black swans like COVID, you know, uh, this adds stress to the system. When we see economic inequality uh, spiral out of control, this adds stress to the system. Uh, But I think fundamentally, at its core, unfair systems produce uh, dissatisfaction as a byproduct. And I think that dissatisfaction is building. Um, And I don't want people to think that the world can't be better. I don't want people to think, you know, this is out of our control. it very much is in our control, and the more unfair it gets, uh, the closer we are to being able to persuade everyone else that the time for it to change is now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Edward Snowden, for that clear message, and once more for your fantastic example what a beautiful conversation i really hope that we have further opportunities to speak perhaps one day in person in public s- smoking cigarettes <laughs> in an illuminous balaclava somewhere near the pentagon <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you
2: well it was it was a pleasure to be with you and uh, stay free my friend
0: actually having said that about being at handle truth one of the things i felt when listening to edward snowden there was wow this man's carrying a great burden didn't you feel that
1: yeah, it mightn't be easy being him.
0: Did you think he was Christ-like?
1: No, because he said, "Don't treat me like that." So then I didn't.
0: Do you think I'm a bit Christ-like? Come on, Jen. I'm a bit Christ-like. Don't know, aren't we? Uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe
1: I'm Christ-like.
0: I wouldn't have thought so, Jenny May. <laughs> Why?
1: Because Christ wasn't. A...
0: Nice. He wasn't a dreary little cynic. Our Lord. Sure? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was a passionate, potent powerful person a potent passionate potent person that's our Lord Jesus what do you think Was well, actually Brian Clough that I'm doing there but was um, a crossover
1: well, uh, well, no we don't need
0: to worry about whether I'm not like yeah, Jesus i Marianne that. Williamson I'll said there
1: shouldn't be soloists it should
0: be choir. yeah she was wrong about that now Marianne Williamson <laughs> she's coming up soon isn't she next week next week Marianne Williamson then Gren- <laughs> Good night. now then it's Glenn Green <laughs> <laughs>
1: then it's good. Then it, it's <laughs>
0: Glenn Greenwald, isn't it? That was an intent. That was one of your favourites, wasn't it? Yeah. Charlie loves these new chats, don't she? She's loved the Jordan Peterson one. Yes. She'll probably love this Edward Snowden one.
1: Yeah, but I think she will still prefer Jordan.
0: Why? Because of all the emotion and breadth of it. Edward's more... Very technical and, you yeah. know. Pl- yeah. yeah. All right. But you liked Glenn Greenwald, didn't you? Yeah,
1: I did. He's, very, he's got good clarity. What did you
0: eat during that? A dime bar? A topic? That. A Kit Kat, a blue ribbon. What did you have?
1: I didn't have anything. You eat during all the podcasts, too. I'm starving,
0: Jen. I'm starving hungry. I need something to keep my spirits up. Have we got Yoga With Adrienne soon, haven't we?
1: Are we still in the outro for... Um, all right, Edward. let's wrap this up.
0: Yoga With Adrienne's <laughs> coming up and all. Anyway, I love you, you big, mad, gorgeous fools, you. Join me again on Under Skin. Be sure to check out Above the Noise and let us know what you... Uh, we'll read some comments from that on here, shall we? Yeah, come on we can and Steph Hoy we miss you and Noel Fats Fats Patrick we love thee too and Justin Hawkins how we love them oh
1: yeah and the goodbye thing is happening
0: right let's listen to the goodbye harmony. now it's a four part harmony yeah is it
1: yeah when he goes
0: play it now can you do I have the capacity to play it so that I can hear it and comment on it yeah hold on here it is, the jingle by Justin Hawkins.
1: Can you hear that? Thank you, <laughs> is that a four-part harmony? No, wait, when the second time around under he does it. Sounds exactly like
0: Michael Jackson, if you ask this me. This bit. I think that sounds like really good. I mean, he's done an amazing job with the arrangement, the construction and everything. Also, didn't you like... Are you surprised by how, like, Michael Jackson that sounds?
1: <laughs> Justin, <laughs> That's exactly like him. No, he doesn't agree. Justin doesn't
0: agree. That's exactly like Michael Jackson. he <laughs> no, doesn't. He doesn't agree, Justin doesn't... What, well, and you don't agree neither? It's exactly like... Looking out, you're making <laughs> <laughs> that was,
1: like, Michael Jackson's career.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Michael Jackson. What do you think?
1: Um, Yes. Oh. <laughs> All right. Play it out, Jen.
0: Next week, Marianne Williamson. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to Under
1: the Skin Goodbye. Thank you yeah. for listening to Under the Skin. Russell my friend